Bring it in. Read option back here. A little bit of an early release, putting this one out here Sunday evening, or sorry, Thursday evening. Um, by the time this is all out, afternoon. And uh, we got a great show lined up. Uh, solo for the opening here, but we have my good buddy from Sirius XM, ESP New Radio, Mad Dog Radio, Fox Sports Radio, a million different things. Chris Plank is joining the pod. Uh, we talked, had a great interview, talked college football, NIL, uh, the Oklahoma Sooners. He does uh, the sideline reporting for Oklahoma. I've referenced Chris a bunch on this pod over the years. So uh, friend of the program, uh, and I'm uh, really excited to get that interview out there. Uh, we also, what else did we hit? We talked some NFL draft catch-up stuff as well. He's a huge draft guy as well as got our listeners ready for uh the Women's College World Series, the Super Regionals, kicking off today on Thursday for softball. Um, Plank does play-by-play for the number one team and number one program in college softball. That is the Oklahoma Sooners. So a whole bunch of great stuff with Plank. I had him for about 30 minutes. I uh, was very generous with his time. Great guy. Great interview. Uh, we're going to hit on the NBA playoffs, though, here. Um, Scotty's on his way up for a wedding, I believe, uh, Rhode Island area. I think, uh, if I have that correct, if not, safe travels of Scotty and Sung up there. Vito's still on vacation, so you get me talking a little bit of hoops, Chris Plank, and then uh, I have a little bit I want to talk about here to uh, to wrap up the show. So, the Boston Celtics have won two in a row, they are now up three two after stealing game five. Uh, in stealing is not even the right word, pretty much just dominated the fourth quarter of game five in Miami. This, um, this is just continuing this disappointing stretch of NBA playoff basketball this year. Uh, I love the NBA and the NBA playoffs are supposed to be some of the most electric moments um, of the whole season. And we've had moments, we've had individual games that have been pretty good, but collectively, the conference finals, both the East and West, have just been terrible. Uh, it's even, it's like even this game, right? Game five, Boston ends up winning by 13, but it was a great game for three quarters. And I was at the I was working at the bar last night. I'm watching the game as we're kind of wrapping things up. And I'm I'm sitting there just like, finally, we have a back and forth game. Miami's up and then our Miami shooters were making some threes in the first half. And then Boston starts to make a comeback. Right. And it's just been this stretch of like, finally, finally, we have a good game. So commercial break hits at some point in the third quarter. I drive home. I live like two minutes away from the bar. I get back. And the second I sit down on the couch to watch the rest of the game, Boston just takes over. They go on like an 8-0 run. Next thing you know, they're up 10. That goes to 15. And it just was never close again after that. Um, it looks like the heat at this point are just gassed. Um, Jimmy Butler is not hundred percent healthy. You can tell it just doesn't, he has no legs. He hasn't for now three games in a row, uh, four of 18 from the field, one of five from three and the one three that he did hit, he was just wide open at the top of the key, only 13 points. Um, you know, Gabe Vincent and Duncan Robinson were, you know, some of the leading scores in this game, bam, had a decent game, double, double 18 and 10, but, as a whole, this series has just not lived up to the hype. And Scotty and I talked about it, you know, this whole idea of parity in, in the NBA and 
and we were so used to having a super team every single year. And now it's just like, no, we just have a bunch of pretty good teams. And you would think that that would translate into a really competitive playoff series. And to this point, we haven't had that, right? Dallas and, you know, avoids the sweep against Golden State on Tuesday night. But here we are with a 3-1 series, Golden State and Dallas, and we'll see how that game ultimately ends up tonight. But, you know, I expect Golden State to take care of business back in or, uh, Oracle or the Chase Center, whatever it's called now, um, turning into Scotty. And if they do, then all right, that's a five-game series. And, and look, Boston-Golden State should be a really, really fun finals, assuming the Heat don't pull off a miraculous comeback and play, you know, win these two last games. But, I mean, Kyle Lowry looks terrible. He's 0 of 6 from the floor, zero points, played 25 minutes. He just doesn't look, A, like he's in good enough shape to be out there. B, he doesn't look 100% healthy. And also the guy's 37 years old. Where Miami goes with him moving forward, I don't know. Uh, I, I couldn't see Toronto taking him back, but they made that trade. They gave up Precious Chua, who would have been a great player with Miami. They gave up Goran Dragic, who right now Goran Dragic would be a better player on the court to have next to Jimmy Butler than what Kyle Lowry's giving you. And, and I've said this all along, too, with the Heat. It's like, yeah, we see these stretches where they look unbelievable, but the fact that they're relying on you know Max Drews and, and Gabe Vincent to be high productive players, even a guy like PJ Tucker, like they need PJ Tucker to make corner threes. They need him to be the, the best defensive player on the floor. And he led the team. He had 11 rebounds last night and, and I can applaud him for the effort, but overall, like you can't expect that out of PJ Tucker, who is like the fifth oldest player in the NBA right now. He's also 37. Right. And, and Jimmy Butler's not, you know, Jimmy Butler may only be 32. I think he is, but at the same time, he played for Tibbs, right, in Chicago and in Minnesota. And Tibbs' whole thing is running players into the ground, basically. Uh, and, yeah, we've seen Tibbs have a bunch of success in this league. But as a whole, as a coach, his whole philosophy has been, like, I'm going to work you. I'm going to make you get after it. And Jimmy Butler's age physically is probably a lot differently than what it is by the number. Um, in Boston, just the size is too much. Jason Tatum, the threat of him. I mean, Jalen Brown's been – amazing in this series scoring the basketball but also is I, i've never seen a player be as good at, at scoring and and taking games over at certain points and just shot making and yet he just can't dribble i mean even on a couple of like two-on-ones he's fumbling the ball and then up oh, we've got to circle back which incidentally might actually end up helping them the al horford reserve uh resurgence has been insane as a whole taking that year off essentially what that does for his knees and his body and coming in basically just getting a chance to get completely recuperated has fixed his game as a whole his three-point shooting has been clutch for them just to have him stretch the floor and then Robert Williams still isn't 100% healthy but when he's out there I mean three blocks 10 boards he, his presence is felt it seems like for a dude who's not 100% healthy his ability to fly all around the floor is really really impressive they have one legit ball handler in Peyton Pritchard who didn't even have to play much in this game. The addition of Derek White, especially on the defensive side of the ball, has been huge for them, even if he hasn't done a lot for them offensively. But even last night, he puts in 14 points, six of eight from the field. He gets to the rim, and it just adds another length, a lengthy player because he's a point guard, but he's also you know 6'4", and he's got a long-ass wingspan. So he can match up with guys. You can put him on Jimmy Butler. You can switch him off onto Gabe Vincent. He can chase those guys around. Grant Williams, for as annoying as he's become, uh, is just another guy that you have to kind of worry about. And 
Marcus Smart comes back, doesn't really do much on the stat sheet, but he's a heartbeat guy. You know, when he's not on the court, when he's not playing, the energy, the vibes of that team feel completely different. And the fact that he's out there, he plays 24 minutes, but the 24 minutes he did play, you know, and the fact that he's right there on the bench when they need him, I think goes a really long way for this team. So Boston is in a really, really good spot. I would be shocked in game six going back to Boston. If I mean, I could see Miami win at least one. I don't see Miami pulling off two wins here, but it's Spo, it's the heat culture, it's all that. It just feels like they're hanging on by the by threads at this point. And as much as I do really like, um, you know, the way that that team, the culture, all that shit that we talk about with Miami Heat, as much as I do really like that about them, uh, I, I don't see them necessarily having enough left in the tank to take down Boston because Boston's core two guys, I mean, Marcus Smart always plays with high energy, but Tatum and Brown are both younger, faster, stronger. And right now they're, they're making shots. And, and Jason Tatum didn't even have a great game last night. He was seven to 20 from the field, but he had a couple of big threes when they really needed it. He was a assist short of a triple double. So he's flying all around the court. Um, and defensively too, I, I, I've talked a lot about Jason Tatum defensively, and, and I don't think we give enough credit and enough due to Jason Tatum because his length alone has always given him the ability to be a really good defensive player. And he really bought into it this year. And I think that's a huge different, like differentiate differentiator. Um, I don't know. A big difference between guys who want to be superstars and guys who are superstars is the effort you give, particularly in the postseason, on the defensive end. Right. All these young bucks out there talk about Kobe and, and how influential he was and they mimic his moves and shot making. Kobe was the best defensive player in the league for a solid three or four years. Michael Jordan won defensive player of the year. Right. Like the, the great uh, Larry Bird, Magic, all all the greats, LeBron. All the great all-time players are also excellent defensive players. And part of this new style of, of basketball players where they want to take a bunch of shots and it's about the shot making because the offense and the shot making in, in the NBA is at an all-time high right now, you have to give the effort on the defensive end. And even you look at a guy like Steph, like, yeah, Steph's not a great defensive player, but he's a smart defensive player. He's always in the right spot and he gives a shit. And that's what frustrates me when you see the, you know, Donovan Mitchells and not that Devin Booker doesn't give a shit, but Devin Booker is a, a minus defender. He doesn't, you know, he, he's out of position a lot. He gets beat off the dribble. Um, and Jason Tatum was this perfect example of a guy who was at that level where, yeah, the offense is there, but are you going to take that next step to be a superstar, to be an all NBA guy? He was on first team all NBA this year, which is well-deserved. He was in the top five in MVP voting, which is well-deserved. And now defensively, and I think Ime Adoko um, has done an unbelievable job helping get the most out of Tatum defensively. And what the Celtics are doing, I mean, holding any team in the Eastern Conference Finals to 80 points or less in back-to-back -back games is absurd. And part of that has to do with Miami just starting to break down. These are both two really good defensive teams. But when we get to the finals, assuming it's Golden State and Boston, that's going to be an awesome series because you're going to have mismatches all over the place. The Warriors are going to want to play their style. Boston's going to want to play their style. Boston's defense has seemingly traveled through each series, regardless of who they've gone up against. And yet Golden State has been running this same offense for years now and have it down so succinctly and so effectively. 
and they still have Steph Curry and they can still stretch the floor the way that they can. I expect that series to be really entertaining. Um, but to see this defense go up against Golden State and, you know, Brad Stevens always said back when he was still the coach at, at Boston, now he's the president of basketball operations. But when he was still on the sideline, there were, he would always say like he had a key, like because they always play Golden State really well. And it was always this thing of like they know how to play the Golden State Warriors. Right. Well, now they're going to get a chance to do it in a big series in the NBA finals. Again, assuming Boston ends up winning game six or game seven and assuming that Golden State closes out either in game five or game six. Uh, for that game tonight, though, I'm excited for it. I mean, it, it looked like Dallas's shooters finally started making shots in game four. Uh, and, and Luca, when, when Luca's doing that, you know, when, when he's more involved in, in the assist game. Now, look, Luca probably could have had 30 and 10 assists in every one of these games if, they, if his teammates were just shooting like 30% from three, right? But instead, they were shooting 20% from three. So all of his assist numbers were down. Um, and that's ultimately going to be dependent on the guys around him and his, the role players and the Jalen Brunsons and Reggie Bullocks and Finney Smith and all those guys, make Maxi Kleba. They all have to make their threes or at least make a threatening percentage of it because they're still shooting 43s a game. And when they do, it makes them that much more difficult to defend, which is what I was saying going into the series to begin with, which is that Luca is such a brilliant player and cerebral player already in his career that even when you do run a box and one against him, even if you do offer help defense, he's always finding the open man through crazy Larry Bird-esque behind his head, over his head, around his body, falling out of bounds somehow. How the hell did he get that guy to you know get the ball to an open guy? And those shots just weren't falling once they hit the open man. So if Dallas does that again, I think there's a chance that we see you know, maybe a game six. Um, and then at that point, it's going to, the rumblings are going to start, right? You're going to blow a 3-0 lead. You're going to blow a 3-0 lead. Uh, we saw already this playoffs with Philly and, and Toronto and Philly was able to close the deal in game six there. I think Golden State gets it done tonight. That's my prediction. And I think Boston gets it done in game six. And I think we'll have a Boston Golden State finals, which uh, not only would be a phenomenal basketball matchup, but the Jersey combination there on the floor, the green and white versus the blue and yellow would be amazing. Uh, and the last time those two teams played in the uh, NBA finals was Wilt versus uh, Bill Russell, which talk about how exciting that would be, uh, would definitely be a ton of fun. I'm, I'm starting to get excited for the finals. It's just, I've had a take for a while that I, I enjoy like the conference championships of, of leagues almost a little bit better. Like, the AFC and NFC championship game. I love that weekend because you just get four teams and you're going to get two really, really good games. Hopefully if not one of the two is going to be really good. And the East and West conference finals, you know, we had stretches where it was like LeBron's Cavs going up against Toronto. Right. And they just blow through them. Golden state going up against Portland. They just blow through them. Um, but traditionally, especially over the last like six or seven years, we've had a bunch of really good series. You know, you think back to the Oklahoma City, you know, 3-1 series lead against Golden State in the Klay Thompson game and these legendary moments that get you that much more excited for the NBA Finals. Whereas this year with the conference champion, the conference finals being rather disappointing, we're going to walk into the finals with not to say we're not going to be excited for it, but the buildup and the anticipation isn't going to be as much because the conference finals and most of the playoffs have kind of been disappointing. So hopefully the finals and I said this last, I said this earlier in the week too. If the finals end up being epic in seven games and it's awesome, no one's going to remember 
what the conference finals were like. No one's going to remember what the second round or the first round or any of that shit, right? We're going to remember Pat Bev and we're going to remember Chris Paul, you know, and all that shit. But other than that, like if the finals are good, the finals are going to be good. And, and that's going to ultimately erase all of these playoffs. So at this point as basketball fans, I think the best thing we can hope for is that the NBA finals live up to whatever hype, whether that's Boston and Miami, Golden State, Dallas, whatever it is, if it lives up to the hype, it'll be spectacular. Now, if Dallas pulls off some 3-0 shit, then we're in a totally different conversation, right? If Dallas pulls off a 3-0 series comeback for the first time in NBA history and makes their way to the finals and it's Luka versus Tatum, that would be all time, right? And then all of a sudden, this conversation about the playoffs would have sucked uh, because we will have just been that wrong. But if you honestly think that's going to happen um, – I don't know. I'd be surprised because Golden State looks bad. They look like they're getting better and better. And I think the best is still yet to come with them. Uh, I still think Steph was more dinged up during the Memphis series and even in the first couple games in this series than we realize. And I think now he's kind of played his way back into, you know, competitive shape. So I'm excited. I'm excited to see how it all ultimately plays out. But I've always been a Steph fan. I would love to see this Golden State team back in the finals. Um, but I also w- wouldn't mind if Dallas steals games, game five, right? And now all of a sudden we're back in Dallas for game six, and then who knows what happens. Then we have a game seven. Uh, also, the uh, the American Airlines arena just leaking from the ceiling was hilarious. I have not seen that, I don't think, ever in a basketball game, in any arena, that just the ceiling starts leaking that crazy. And uh, it was funny, too, all the all the players looking up and watching and, Someone had a great tweet that was like, you know, the masculine urge to to watch a repairman, you know, doing a task, you know, supervising uh, is, is transcends even basketball and even basketball rivals. And it was a picture of Luca and Steph both looking up and like examining what the guy was doing. But uh, I don't understand why, like why it took as long as it did. I was having this conversation at the bar. I was like, I mean, a shout out to the guy, multiple people who just went up there in harnesses and you're like, man, drop of a hat. You're climbing up into the rafters and you're not only are you trying to fix a problem, but in the back of your head, you realize, you know, the cameras are watching you and you know that there's going to be millions and millions of people at home. And then another couple million on Twitter who are watching and laughing at this crazy thing and not at the people, but just at the situation as a whole. And the fact that they were able to get it done at all was, was pretty impressive, but they had like a tarp there catching it. They had a funnel attached, but then it wasn't, didn't reach out far enough to catch any of the water. And man, they were, they were, they were trying to problem solve. I'll give them credit. Um, Still think duct tape probably just would have worked just as well. Or that's when you get the flex seal stuff, like the spray, you know, get that on a little can and stick it up and just spray that shit, man. That dude's out there riding on boats with a screen door in the bottom. And they just cover the whole thing with flex seal and it can go out on a boat. I'm pretty sure that could have fixed a leak in the roof of the American Airlines arena. But nonetheless, I don't know. If that's the most exciting thing we've had in these conference finals, uh, it'll ultimately be a really disappointing conference final. So I guess if, if we really want the most entertaining outcome, we should all be pulling for Dallas to pull off some miraculous 3-0 comeback. And who knows, right? I mean, everyone thought the same thing was going to happen with Toronto. Uh, but I think the mental toughness and, and how good Golden State has been over the last couple of games, particularly too with like Kevon Looney, you know, they were subbing in their young guys pretty early into that game where it was like, all right, Dallas, they're making their threes. It's game four. And it's that desperation thing too. It's like the team that's down 3-0 is going to play harder than the team that's up 3-0. That's just, 
that's human nature. There's nothing we can do about that. That's just how it's going to work out. And those guys were trying their best, you know, and ultimately I think Steve Kerr realized it. Um, in addition to obviously everything else that was going on in the country, I think they kind of knew what, what the vibe was going into game four and they saw what Dallas did and they saw Dallas making their threes early. And they said, all right, you know what? We don't have it. Steph, Clay, Kevon, Draymond, you guys are all getting a little bit of rest and we're going to let the young guys get some minutes. Right. Because, and I'll say this too, like they're going to need Kaminga, right. And they're going to need Otto Porter jr. And they're going to need those guys in the finals if they end up playing Boston, so getting those guys out there, getting them some minutes and opportunities out there. And on top of it, too, like Golden State started to come back. They ended up only being a nine-point game, even though the whole game was nowhere near that close. Um, Golden State found a way to start to fight back. So I think that was valuable minutes, and I think it was good coaching on Steve Kerr's part. You're getting your vets some rest. You're not overtaxing them. It's a game they were going to lose. You're going back to San Francisco. You're going to get an opportunity to close the series out in your home building in game five. So tonight – that's my lean. Um, I'm taking Golden State to win, get some a little bit of extra rest while we see what happens with the rest of Boston and Miami. Last thing here, um, Joel Embiid, stay off Twitter, please, for my own mental health and for the mental health of everybody in the city of Philadelphia and every Sixers fan across the world. Please stop. Please don't go up there and start anything saying that Miami needs – uh, <laughs> Miami needs another superstar next to Jimmy Butler. Um, that's the last thing I need. Please just, just stay off Twitter. Just, just, just take a break, man. Mental health, you, social media is bad for that. You don't got to go on there. Please just don't, just don't do that, please. <laughs> All right. Um, quick break. When we come back, Chris Plank, Sirius XM, ESPNU, uh, Mad Dog Radio, Fox Sports Radio, a local radio there in Norman, Oklahoma, Oklahoma City, Tulsa area as well. Uh, play a play-by-play for the Oklahoma Sooner softball team. We talk a little bit about that program, which is like if you if you don't know, they're basically you know Patty Gaslow and you know as the head coach there in the program she runs. It's she's the Nick Saban of, of college softball. Uh, super high expectations there. Fifty-two and two this season. So unbelievable team. Uh, they're hoping for another run to the Women's College World Series, one another crack at, at the uh, the title, which uh, it's usually either them or UCLA. Uh, they also have Jocelyn Allo, who is the home run queen. So we talked to Plank about that. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Plank Show. Uh, he's the best. So quick break, come back. Chris Plank, about 30 minutes, and then we'll wrap up the pod after that. All right, we are now welcomed by a good buddy of mine and former uh, co-worker, one of the best Radio personality is out there. He is a chameleon. He can blend in on any radio station and does a phenomenal job. It is Chris Plank. Uh, That's a good way to put it. I tried writing down everything that you uh, that you do, and it's just impossible because you're everywhere, man. Don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And in fact, as as I'm as I'm doing my my show, I wanted to make sure we had plenty of time to chat. So I literally just wrapped up my local show, and I'm at uh, one of our sponsors, Cavens Construction here in there Norman, Oklahoma. So yeah, we uh, we stay busy. I have uh, three kids and a very uh, spindy wife. No, I'm kidding. Um, but yeah, it's fun. It keeps me busy. One of which just graduated college, correct? High school. High school. High school Sorry. Thankfully, High I'm not school. that old. I, I could be. <laughs> I, was, I could be old enough to have a, a college grad, but no, he's he's on his way to West Point, so I could That's be right. prouder. 
Oh my God. Congratulations to the whole Plank family. That's awesome, dude. Stoked for you. All right. Well, we got a bunch of stuff I want to get into. Uh, We're going to start off a little college football talk here. So I haven't heard all of what's been going on ESPNU and all the other college channels, but I'd imagine the overriding uh, conversation was about the Jimbo and Nick Saban kind of spat last week, right? The back Mm -hmm. and forth. So it felt like at least from social media and some of the stuff I heard, it felt like people were either trying to take sides, picking one side or the other, and then it launches into the NIL conversation all over again. Uh, I didn't feel like you could really even pick a side because coming out of that and what we had talked about on this pod was I understood both sides of the argument and I understood where Jimbo was coming from. I understood where Saban was coming from. I think they both kind of look bad coming out of the whole conversation as well. Uh, So in your estimation and just your overall reaction to it, is this just kind of where we're at right now in terms of that wild, wild west? Are we just stuck in this loop of just no one knows really what's going on and we have these two figureheads in college football just openly fighting like high school girls? (laughs) I I think that there are – I think there's a lot of different arms to this, and I – and I think that we kind of went, we, the Royal, we, everyone in college football went with a ready, shoot, a mindset and the NCAA from day one of this tapped out. Yeah. Right. And I understand why they don't want to get caught up in the, in, in the battles in court. They gave two rules. It can't be used for enticement. And there are certain schedule things that are a part of it. And immediately you knew it was going to be used for enticement. Okay. Well, who's going to, who's going to police that. Right. Uh, and nobody. So I, I think we're if you don't embrace NIL, then you're going to get lost. The problem is there do, there's going to be a crazy, no holds barred, kind of even no rules mindset for a while. Will teams get away with it for a bit? You bet. Will things change? Absolutely. But, but it's going to take some time. You know, this was everyone push. Athletes deserve to be paid and they do. And, and NIL is great. But what it's turned into I mean, we're so hungry for anything to pounce, right? On we, we, we report every single number out there like it's fact. I mean, we've got guys on ESPNU talking about a five, six million dollar deal for a made up player out there. It's just it doesn't make any sense to me. So um, we, we got to be smarter and we've got to be a little bit more in the way we report on it, the way we cover it. Um, understanding that not everything out there is true. I mean, even the, there's a top 10 list that came out today, the top 10 highest paid NIL deals. We don't know that. Yeah. It, 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 it's pure speculation. And there might be someone that's getting triple what you're reporting or, or a third of what we're reporting. So I, I just, I, I, I think these are two coaches just having a little spat. One who got called uh, for, for doing it the wrong way but really it's the right way because there's no rules and one who feels like they're doing it the right way and feels a little threat. So yeah, like, and also carries the cash, it carries the cachet of being Nick Saban, which, you know, helps a little bit, you know, you, you don't have to pay as much in NIL deals or worry as much about that when you're also Nick Saban, you know, or do Uh, you, or do you, or maybe because kind of his, his thought is that, you know, Texas A&M has never brought in this many five-star recruits, Mm -hmm. never. And, you know, in their mind, they look at it like, 
why would you choose going there over here? So maybe there is something to worry about, but you're right. You know, in the end, what's the ultimate sales piece? Is it the couple mil you can make here or is it the NFL career I can prepare you for and you can win championships? That's going to be a wild thing to follow over the next few years. Well, And Saban too, like he wants to be able to say, I'm Nick Saban, come here. Right. Like, and so the fact that someone can challenge that a little bit, I think probably makes them uncomfortable, but till to this whole conversation as well, absolutely. like we are as a society, we are so quick to immediately judge something in its totality. Right. Um, And when you, when we talk about NIL in particular, I, I think we're a year in, not even a year in right to this whole NIL world transfer porter world if you if you are trying to feed, especially someone who does as much radio as you are in the college world, when you're trying to feed that appetite for listeners who want some sort of like NIL is good or NIL is bad, how do you even go about judging it at this point? Or can we at all? Because I in my I don't think we can until five or 10 years down the line, just like with the college football playoff. We couldn't really judge that until here we are seven, eight years later. And now we've seen it's actually been successful. Right. And then you don't know what's the next uh, next direction going to be. Is it adding more teams? Is it to 12? But we're going to have a feeling out process. Right. And I think we're in the midst of this. You're right. We're not even a year into it. So that makes it um, a little bit tough to truly understand what's right and what's wrong. And we're doing all this while the NCAA is crumbling around us. So the rules organization that had made all the bylaws and enforcement suddenly isn't. So I, I just it's it's fascinating to me, Jeff, to see that we're in a whole new era of college sports and student athletes are able to profit unlike they've ever been able to before, but it's not every student athlete. Right. And Mm -hmm. I think that's where there's a a big misnomer in all of this. So we'll fill the Royal. We will fill through it. Either conferences will take over the policing of it, or, you know, the NCAA will get beefed up in some way, shape or form and become more of an enforcement arm. But yeah, I'll tell you what Matt Brown wrote about it today. I'm like NIL fatigued. You know, I just I want the kids to go make as much money as they can, but I also don't want these uh, boosters and collectives to just give kids hundreds of thousands of dollars for not doing a damn thing. Um, yeah. I it I, I think there has to be, you know, someone signing with your school and immediately saying they have six million dollars in NIL deals. I mean, it's like giving the rookies the million dollar contracts that we did. And the NFL finally said, okay, we got to, we got to stop this. Yeah. Right. We can't and give Sam Bradford I think that's where we million. need to be in college. That's definitely where we, before he steps on the field or Jamarcus Russell or uh, Eric Fisher or whomever. So I, I, I feel like that's an adjustment that needs to be made. You, you play well, you, you have a great social media following. You have a great following in general. You're going to make a lot of money. Yeah. And, and that's just, I think the nature of where we're heading. Right. And it's only, Right. I hope we get to a point where there's at least some sort of organized chaos, but I mean, like talk about NIL fatigue, like Mark Emmert's like, I'm out, <laughs> you know, like we're at the point now right. where we're even the president of the NCAA. Like, I don't even want to have to try to handle this um, away from more of the generic big picture stuff. You are as tied into Oklahoma as anybody is right. You you're around there. You live uh, right in that Norman area. You do sideline reporting for the football. You, you know, do play by play for the, women's you know college softball um the lincoln riley oklahoma divorce right the very public divorce um was very interesting to me because the oklahoma fan base took it very personally at first right and then they get brent venables and it's like all right everything's happy we're all good everything's great 
But on the other end of this, I actually kind of understood why Lincoln Riley left. So what is fair to criticize, I guess, on both sides of it, right? The, the Lincoln Riley side where he wanted to go take another opportunity, try to build something else, uh, which I think is fair, but also, you know, I have a neighbor who's right. an OU fan and his whole mentality is like, well, he had one foot out the door the whole time, which I don't think is true. So where, where is their fair criticism? I guess, if you could say it from either side, both fan base and for Lincoln Riley himself. Well, I, I think, you know, f- first of all, that Oklahoma hadn't had a coach leave since ever, yeah. right. They had, I think it was, you know, pre like Barry Switzer, pre Chuck Fairbanks, you know, this was, the first coach that ever left for another job um, in, in the college ranks. Right. So I think number one, that's something that Oklahoma fan hasn't felt in football. And so that was a different feeling. And a lot of programs have dealt with it and it's frustrating and it's painful and it sucks. Um, and Lincoln Riley had done a really good job of, and I'm not, I want to make, I'm not knocking this Lincoln Riley had made Oklahoma football about Lincoln Riley. Right. You mm-hmm. didn't, think of OU football without thinking about the Lincoln Riley offense and how he had developed Baker and Kyler and Jalen and how Spencer Rattler was supposed to be the purest form of the kind of quarterback that he wanted. Um, So you're going to feel some kind of way whenever he leaves. And I completely understand the frustration, especially for what's viewed in recent memory as a significant step down and what's viewed by some as a, you know, you guys are moving to the SEC. Well, I don't want to deal with that. I'm going to, I'm going to the, um, I'm going to the Pac-12. I'm going to get out of here. But I understand it. You know, I get it. it it's if I, I have subscribed to the Vince McMahon mindset. If you don't want to be here, love to have you around, but go. Right. Yeah. Whenever WWE had the big battle with WCW, they lost for a while, but eventually who won in the end? The WWE um, and Oklahoma goes out and gets a guy that the immediate first thing Brent Venable says is. I'm ready for the SEC. I'm ready to embrace that challenge. Here's what we need to do. We've got to fix this facilities-wise. we got to do this facilities-wise. We've got to get this from a holistic approach. we got to do this, this. And Oklahoma has done it. So any of that, you know, maybe, you know, I kind of look at it as Lincoln Riley leaving might have been one of the best things to happen to Oklahoma because, and that's not a knock on Lincoln, Maybe there was this confidence that Lincoln's going to get this done. We're going to be fine going to the SEC. Meanwhile, Brent Venables comes in and says, no, we're not fine. Here's what we need to do, and here's what we need to change for the culture. So it's been big for you. But Oklahoma fans are going to be mad because they saw the amount of talent on draft night, draft nights, plural, that went to the NFL. Mm-hmm. And they knew how good this team could be. And even when they were undefeated, they weren't playing well. So there's going to be a lot of like your neighbor. He had one foot out the door. And my frustration, and I'm a, I'm a big Lincoln guy. You know, I, I see all these pictures from USC. I mean, I, I never – Lincoln Riley, from the moment he stepped on campus in 2017, you know, I was his sideline guy as an OC and then as a head coach. I'm, I mean, I did every single post-game interview with him. His his daughters and my daughters were in a dance class together. You know, <laughs> your, your kids all go to school together. So I see a lot of these guys at USC, and you're like, oh, man, those are our people. But then I stop and I realize you got to stop trying to pretend like this just happened overnight. Yeah. And I think that's what pisses everyone off to no end is he wants to consistently be like, well, the first conversations we had were on the Saturday night after Bedlam. Really? I mean, that's the fact that that continues to be something that is sold to fans is going to be incredibly enraging. But in the end, they got they got the right guy for the job and it could have gone a bevy of different directions. But Brent Venables is bringing some juice, man, and it's really fun to see. 
I'm excited. I'm excited for the the Brent Venables era as a whole. I'm I'm a big fan of his and everything he did at Clemson. And it was clear he had one job he was going to leave Clemson for, and it was Oklahoma. So the fact that everything worked out, I'm I'm excited for that in the transition. Um, I do want to talk a little bit of NFL draft here as well. Me too. Um, you didn't. You won't know this, but uh, one of your former OU guys that you covered and was around, Grant Calcaterra, is now a Philadelphia Eagle. Grant is also a fan and friend of this podcast. Uh, That's one right. of our other co-hosts, Vito, childhood best friend. Nice. Um, and he uh, was actually at with Grant during uh, his draft party and was out in California with him. So we got the lowdown and everything what uh, was going on there. Um, the draft as a whole this year, I'm curious as what your thoughts are, because there were a lot of opinions going on about just the overall kind of vibe excitement levels. What was that for you? What, what was the vibe in the Chris Plank household when you're sitting down watching back in April? It was weird for me because I'm a Raiders fan and we didn't have a first or second round pick. So there was, yeah. there was strike one. And then number two, you know, you, the quarterbacks were such a different conversation this year, right? It wasn't how many quarterbacks are going to go in the top 10. It was, will a quarterback even go in the first round? Mm -hmm. And so that might've taken a little bit of the luster. I loved this draft because I felt like there was so much unknown in the top 10, right? I felt like that. And even with the way that it played out, you know, I was real big on Kayvon Thibodeau, maybe even still being the number one pick. And I said, I'll guarantee that dude doesn't go outside the top five. Barely. <laughs> You know, goes number five to the Giants, but he's a difference maker. Um, I I loved what some teams did in being active. I thought it was a very active first round where people, you know, decided that they wanted a guy and they would go up and get him. In fact, teams were so eager that I think it was the NFL and ESPN that's like, okay, y'all need to slow down a little bit. This thing's going <laughs> way too fast, um, including the Lions, who I I guess right after Walker was announced to the Jaguars, they already had the card up at the stand ready mm -hmm. to announce uh, Hutchinson going to Detroit. So. I loved the draft. I, you know, we get so caught up in a skill player world. Not, I'm not saying you, but the Royal, we, For uh, sure. we get caught up in a skill player world, right? It's gotta be quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers. And we don't care about offensive linemen. And we usually don't care about defensive players, but I thought this draft was pretty Im interesting in how key pieces like the interior of the defensive line and ru edge rushers and, um, offensive tackles or you know tackles are always going to go high but even seeing centers and I mean to me I felt like team building was really cool in this draft and and you didn't have teams reach for a quarterback and I feel like sometimes in drafts you reach for a quarterback and they don't end up panning out and you set yourself back I don't think teams did that this year when they could have and it was really it was kind of refreshing to see I, I completely agree. And I, I, and I had a feeling you were going to answer this way because you and I are both big draft guys and our conversations in the past, we've had conversations like this. Um, I, and it was interesting too, because I, everyone kept comparing it to the Ponder draft and the Blake Bortles draft. And so I went back and mm -hmm. looked at those drafts. They were loaded and teams tend yeah. seem to draft better when they're not spending all of these extra scouting resources on quarterbacks that they're probably not even going to have a chance to go up and draft. Right. You know, the top five quarterbacks over the last couple of years who've gone out like most teams weren't even going to be able to get them anyway. Uh, so I, I love the draft for this for that exact thing. But there's also a piece of this that I didn't hear talked about a lot. And I'm fascinated to hear your thoughts. You said your Raiders were one of the teams that didn't draft in the first round. And there were eight teams that didn't have a first round mm -hmm. draft pick. And we know the NFL is a copycat league. Right. And we just saw that L.A. Rams win a Super Bowl 
basically not having draft a player in the first three rounds, like in the last four years, it feels like they're just continually trading for players now. And it feels a little NBA ish. And I was wondering, cause we talked about this right around the Super Bowl, Like, is this going to become a trend? And then you see Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, all these quarterbacks getting traded for, is that a good or a bad thing when we're talking about team? Cause team building to me is still the most important part. Right. And you look at the Ravens and the sure. Jets and the Eagles and what they did in this draft which was the opposite of what there was eight teams who went out and traded for a star wide receiver or a starting quarterback. Is this ultimately going to be a trend that's good, bad, or is this, is this a one year off as a whole? I think it's a couple year off, you know, obviously Denver and Miami paid a pretty heavy price to go get the guy that they wanted. And I completely understand it. It makes sense. Denver has swung and missed at quarterback since Peyton Manning's retirement. So I think in that situation, it makes some sense and it makes some sense for Seattle to go make that move. Now, Seattle not getting a quarterback in the draft and not making move for Jimmy G or um, Baker seems a little bit odd to me, but okay. Um, I don't think it's a trend. I don't think the FM picks mindset is going to be one that is, it happens. I mean, everyone forgets the Rams, the Super Bowl MVP was a late round pick that they found. Aaron Donald was still a top 15 pick, you know, I yeah. mean, they're still, still a team that has a lot of guys that they drafted. So I, I don't think it's going to be a trend. You know, obviously Denver is going to pay for the next couple of years because of what they got in, in, in getting Russell Wilson. And that's understandable, but, I don't, I don't see it as a trend for the future. I, I think it will be interesting to see how it works out, right? Mm -hmm. In, you know, to a, a receiver in Devontae Adams approaching 30, you know, what's Tyreek Hill, like 27? Do we still see teams that are going to push towards going and getting a veteran guy that might be ready for a big contract or take a risk in drafting a rookie? First-round wide receivers haven't necessarily panned out with the numbers. I mean, Justin Jefferson has, but – Jerry Judy's been a disappointment. Henry Ruggs is out of football right now. We mm -hmm. can just go back two years ago. So I don't uh, – CeeDee Lambs ended up being a stud for Dallas, but, you know, that's 50-50 on the just four receivers I mentioned right there that went in the first round just two drafts ago. So, I mean, we'll see. But yeah. I, don't think, I don't think it's going to be a trend that will be followed a lot. I think picks are still going to be valued. Yeah, I think I think and I think they should. And I think we'll see big jumps yep. from teams who have invested in that to, to get better. All right. A uh, couple of last things here before uh, we wrap up. Um, you're we said you're a diehard Raiders fan. I've been calling it the arms race, which I'm sure I'm not the yes. only one that has. But the AFC West has just been unbelievable. How are we feeling and how do you think six months from now, in November, you're going to be feeling when we get to the thick of things? I think we're going to be feeling pretty good. You know, I've been a. Um an unabashed supporter of Derek Carr. Mm -hmm. I think that he has been um, undervalued and it was kind of cool to see John Gruden come in and, and give him a little bit of juice. But then in the same vein, there were always rumors around, Oh, what's, what are the Raiders going to do? Are they in on the Tom Brady conversation? Are they going to make a trade for Jimmy Garoppolo? And then immediately Dave Ziegler takes over as the general manager from Gruden Mayock and says, we're extending him. You know, yeah. and, it, and it's not a massive long-term deal, but it's enough to say you're a guy for at least the next two or three years. Let's go. Let's go see what it can do. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to get you some talent around it. Um, and they go and they made the deal for Devontae Adams, where the Raiders are among that group of teams that have failed in drafting skill players, right? Mm -hmm. Renfro was a late-round pick, well, fourth-round fourth pick. But for the most part, every first-round receiver that they've taken, Amari Cooper didn't work out. Um, they ended up trading – or they ended up losing Henry Ruggs. I'm just 
it, 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 it's Darius Hayward Bay was a disaster. So why, why not go get an established guy? And, yeah. you know, we'll, I, I'm intrigued to see how Josh McDaniels does in round two. It's the toughest division right now in football. If everyone stays healthy, um, I think that there is a chance you could see play, like at least three playoff teams uh, out of that division. So um, it's going to be tough, but it's nice to see my team be active. And then not just on the offensive side of things, but, you know, Patrick Graham nearly got the Minnesota Vikings head coach's job. Mm-hmm. Now he's a defensive coordinator for the Raiders. Right. And you got Max Crosby, you go sign Chandler Jones. Um, Denzel Perryman is back at linebacker. We'll see how he works in this situation. They've, they, uh, in, they've had a couple of guys who look pretty good in their rookie season in Merrick and watching um, a divine Diablo who was really good at linebacker. So, I feel like from a whole team perspective, they're better, but being better might not make you better record wise. Well, when you got to play division. Oh right. God, Patrick it's... Mahomes twice, Justin Herbert twice, and to play Russell Wilson twice. It's going to be tough. I'm excited for AFC West football. Uh, all right. Last things here. Softball, super regionals uh, kickoff basically as we're speaking right now. Uh, which is Thursday, about 1.20 Eastern time. Um, you've gotten the opportunity to call and cover Jocelyn Allo, who is one of the best college softball players of all time. She's the home run queen. Um, and there's been this trend all season where she's been getting all these intentional walks like Barry Bonds circa 2003. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm very fascinated because I know that coaching staff and how much success that whole program has had for so long. How do they respond to that? Is that something that ever gets in their head that gets frustrating? Or are they just kind of in that, that same Nick Saban school where it's just like, all right, we're up. We're, this is what the deal is, and we're just going to keep playing. So to me, um, the big intentional walk issue was in the chase for 96, mm-hmm. right? And that's the, the record was, was 95, and she tied it. And then you went through this spell where um, you went through this spell where she just didn't get many opportunities, right? She just – they wouldn't, they wouldn't pitch to her. And yeah, I think it kind of got in their head a little bit. I mean, I, and I think they didn't even say it, it pissed them off. And especially, you know, there was one game where they were up, Oakland was up 8-0. It was an 8-0 game. And there was a runner at first base. And the coach of the opposing team intentionally walked her in an eight-zip game. It's like, what are we doing, right? Um, but the good news is, Jocelyn's a complete hitter. She's batting about 500 on the season. She's fantastic. Crazy. So um, I'm a, I'm a massive fan of watching her. I don't think, um, I don't think they let it. I don't think they let it carry over once, once the record was broken, it was kind of like, okay, right. let's just go with it. And if, and, and if you intentionally walk her, you're pitching to the national freshman of the year from last year. So um, they've done a good job with managing that. They did a good job with managing it. And once that record was broke, Jeff, it was it was just left lane hammer down the rest of the year for him. And by the way, one of the greatest calls I think I've ever heard, Chris Plank on the home run call was absolutely electric. Uh, I will definitely be tweeting that out again once we send out the link here. Thanks, dude. Dude, absolutely. Um, and the last thing here, if you can, as succinctly as, as you want, uh, give us a little bit of a cliff notes here is what to expect for the Super Regionals. Uh, as they get kicked off today, because I love college softball. I love this time of year and it's always so exciting. So so give us the give our listeners. We don't talk a whole lot of college softball in this pod. So give us a quick little rundown of what we can expect. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll be brief. Um, you had a lot of upsets in the regionals. You have uh, three teams that are hosting a super regional that were not in position to host a super regional, and you hosted if you were a top eight seed and moved on. So that's pretty wild to see how that played out. Right, Mississippi State had really no business beating Florida State, and yeah. um, to be honest with you, Alabama had no business losing in its regional either. Um, but yet here we are with both of them out. And you look at teams like Oregon State and Stanford that have moved on and you see what um, what happened to Missouri and their regional where Texas is eliminated Seattle. I mean, it's just it's been wild to see all the upset. So um, expect the unexpected is what I would say. My team, Oklahoma, has a very tough matchup against UCF. I think if UCF was going anywhere else, I would have them going to the Women's College World Series. That's how good they are as a mid-major. Um, but it's it's going to be crazy. I mean, I don't know when this is dropping, Jeff, but, you know, this Thursday night series that's starting between Clemson and Oklahoma State is going to be wild. You know, you've got Texas and Arkansas, which is going to be wild. So you got a lot of really good series, got a lot of upsets that have happened, and then you're trying to punch that ultimate ticket to Oklahoma City. Awesome. Are we hanging another banner for the Sooners? What's wild is you're in a position where if they don't, it's a disappointment. And that kind of shows you where that level of expectation is for this program. You know, women's women's college world series is like the baseline. Yeah. Oh, you got to the world series. Good. Did you win a title <laughs> to get to the championship series? Yeah. Because if you, if you don't, it's a disappointment. And that's uh, that speaks to the incredible job that Patty Gasso has done. They're really good. If Jordy ball can get healthy, look out, but it's going to be a tough road. Awesome. Well, he is Chris Plank. You can hear him calling the Women's College World Series on Westwood One. You can hear him on SiriusXM, ESPNU, and Mad Dog Radio, uh, Fox Sports Radio, the Sooner Sports Podcast. Plank, pleasure seeing you, man. Thank you so much for making some time. Thanks, dude. I appreciate it, Jeff. Have a good day, bud. Another huge shout out to Chris Plank uh, for joining us. He's the best. Hope you guys enjoyed that interview. Um, and hopefully have some more college football themed guests here because as you know, we went into there's, I mean, Plank and I could have just done the whole thing about college football and just where we're at. Cause everything is just, is crazy in that world right now. Um, last thing here to wrap up the pod. Uh, it's been a tough week for our country. It's been a tough week, um, for parents, for children across the country. Um, the another mass shooting, um, at a school, elementary school in uh, in texas and look i know this pod doesn't have some massive reach all right i know that me coming up and and saying what other people have said it, it may not affect anything it maybe it helps somebody i don't know um but what i do know is whatever platform i have um i always want to try to use it for something good and what happened this week it's hard to even fathom, honestly. It, it's terrifying. Um, 19 children killed. Um, the teachers. I, I want to say words, and at the same time, I don't know what I can say. We're in a sad time in our life. And I'm sure there's going to be people who listen to this who turn it off at this point. And that's okay. I understand. Um, and I'm not going to sit up here and talk for an hour about gun control or anything else. I've watched the Steve Kerr clip probably like 15 times. 
And every time I feel like I'm about to start crying at the end of it, um, I've had to force myself off of social media uh, because it just feels like every single time I open up Twitter, just it's the only thing I see. Uh, and more stories, more pictures of the kids. And in a weird way, we kind of have to, we have to see that stuff, right? Because if we don't, if we bury our heads in the sand, nothing ever changes. No one gets outraged anymore. And it's terrifying how normal this has become. I remember I was a sophomore in high school when Sandy Hook happened and it was 10 years ago. My teacher, Miss Ware, she uh, was a journalism class even. It wasn't even like English or anything. It was just like a journalist. No, it was, it was an English class. And she just, we sat down and she said, we're not learning anything today. She's like, we're, we're not teaching anything. I'm not teaching anything. She's like, we're just going to talk and we're going to talk through this. And there was a girl in the class whose aunt was actually the librarian at Sandy Hook. And um, I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that day. And it was so horrifying. And even still, I still had this thought of like, well, this is one off, right? Like it's terrible and it's terrifying. And, and I can't believe this happened. But it was so not common back then that I never once had the thought that like, oh, this could be us. Like this, this might happen to us in, in our school. That thought never occurred to me because it was so uncommon. And it felt like such a massive deal. And yeah, we had shootings leading up to that, but nothing to the extent that Sandy Hook was, at least not since, you know, Columbine. And I remember sitting there and just having that moment of like, this is so scary and, and terrifying, but it wasn't like a, I'm going to carry this with me every day I go into school. And now you fast forward 10 years. And I think that's all I would think about if I was in high school today. As an anxious person, um, I, I think that's the only thought I would have. I think every day walking into school, I would see that. I think every time we would see the police officer who was in school, I would think about that. And that's so fucked up. It's so fucked up. This is the world that we live in. That we are in a world and in a country. It's not even the world. This is the country we live in. This is a country that actively chooses to allow this to happen. That puts the onus on teaching kids how to hide when someone comes in with a gun. You know, I read articles today. You know, there are schools who will fire blanks just so that kids are less, are, are desensitized to the sound of gunshots. How? How is this where we're at? How is this the world that we have created in this country? And, you know, Steve Kerr, his, his speech, like I said, I've watched it a bunch of times and, and the facts and everything are right there. The vast majority of Americans are, are in support of universal background checks or in support of some sort of gun regulation. And if you're a gun owner, why do you, if you're a responsible gun owner, then why the hell do you care if there's extra steps, if you have to wait a month? Why is it that an 18 year old can buy a gun, but can't have a beer, right? We've decided that you're not responsible enough to, to, to drink a beer 
at 18, but you're responsible enough to have a gun. I remember being learning how to drive and my dad telling me, hey, you are driving a weapon. You are, this, is, this can be used to kill people if you are not responsible with it. And that weight cares of me every time I drive, still to this day. I think about it all the time. And you have to go through hours of training. You have to take a test. You have to have a supervisor in the car with you just to be able to drive a car because of the potential, you know, massacres that could happen, the, the potential lives that could be taken with cars. And yet to buy a gun, you don't have to be licensed in the state of Texas. You can carry it around without a license, without a registration. You can buy assault weapons. I know this is a sports podcast, and I know that many of you listening probably don't give a shit on my, about my opinion on this, and that's okay. Like I said, if you turned it off by now, you turned it off by now, and that's fine. I don't know where we go. I don't know where we go. There's, there's such a lack of hope in this country when it comes to stuff like this. And that's the scariest thing, I think. We've made children responsible and teachers responsible to take care of kids if someone just walks in instead of saying, hey, you know what, maybe guns... Maybe guns are a problem. And there's children killed. There's innocent black people killed at a grocery store. There are innocent churchgoers shot in Southern California who are all minorities. And this all happened in the last 10 days. 30 plus lives taken because Jim Bob in Alabama wants to have his guns. Something's got to change. Thoughts and prayers aren't enough. If you have people in your life, like I do, who are educators, if you know people who are, have kids, that are in school. Don't be afraid to talk to them. Love on them. And pray to God that something changes. That's all we got. Have a good weekend. We'll talk to you guys on Tuesday.